is there any updates on your car yet? Like, do you have it back? I have it back, yeah. Oh, okay. It, it, it was a massive problem for me, which is now solved, but it is now, it's, it's worse for everyone else involved apart from me. Oh, good. So the insurance company has had to pay. So I paid £600, which is my insurance breach. I paid £600 in the um, and my insurance have gone, it was an act of God, you cost us this amount of money, I think my insurance premium is probably going to go up by about 100, 200 quid at the end of the year, I can live with that. It's not going to be fun, but I can live with it. Um, it cost my insurance company £3,500. It cost the company that said they would repair it eight and a half thousand pounds wow the problem is is that when the car came in a guy from an insurance like a, a mechanic does a thing called an estimate right so he looks yeah. at the car and goes it's going to cost x to fix your car so let's say he said you know you've got a bump on your rear bumper it's going to cost you us a thousand pounds to fix now normally they do overestimate it won't, it'll cost a thousand pounds to fix. Now they have a 25% margin either way to stop them basically going, this car's going to cost 12 million pounds to fix. So if they go 25% under, they get a fine. If they go 25% over, they get a fine. And then if they go over 25% over, they have to pay that as part of the fine. So they gave me a courtesy car at the cost of 100 pounds a day which was quoted because they thought it was going to take a week to two weeks. So they, they, they quoted in that it was going to cost about £100 a day, a, like the higher car, I think maybe £75, um, which I have to fuel myself, but they still have to pay for the insurance on it and they have to pay for that. Um, because my car is a convertible, it has to be stored inside. Right. So they have to allocate a space inside for it, which obviously costs them money. They then have to charge for labor. Uh, they then also have to charge for parts and then like how long it's with them. Um, so when they first got it, the guy, not the, the guy estimated it, I didn't, they got the car and all this kind of stuff. Um, the mechanic who initially took it apart, it took him three days. So that was three days labor. He then ordered the parts the parts took two weeks to initially come in. He then put it back together over the course of another three days. Found out he didn't have everything he needed. Ran a load of expensive tests to find out if the chassis was straight. Um, at which point they've had it for three weeks, and the three and a half, the three, the three thousand pounds is up. Right. So right. they then ordered more parts. Um, at which point they had to wait for them to come in and all this kind of stuff. And because of all the delays and the fact that the guy put it back together and, you know, because every time he takes it apart, if he hasn't all the stuff to put it back together properly, he has to at least put wheels on it so that he can get it out of the way so he can work on other cards. Um, so all in all, he had it apart and back together three times. Every time oh, wow. he does that, every time he does that, the consumables like bushes and 
different bits that once they're clamped in place and tightened, you once you untighten them, you have to replace them. Um, they all have to be bought from Fiat. You can't just get them off the shelf. They have to be bought from Fiat. Good. Um, at which point, by the end of this process, it then has to go to an official sign-off Fiat. Um, now, the company that were doing this um, were like, yeah, we'll, we'll send it for an official sign-off from Fiat because basically these guys, because they do free at 500 all day, every day, they yeah. don't have to get the Fiat official sign-off. But there was only 4,000 Fiat 124s made. So Fiat are very, 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 very particular with how they're repaired because okay. they're now a Fiat heritage car because Fiat don't want all of them just written off and thrown away and all this kind of stuff. Um, when it got sent to Fiat, these guys have put 90 Ron fuel in it, which is like a commercial grade fuel because that's what they had. And they filled the tank because when I sent it to them, it had a fuel tank of fuel, fuel tank of fuel. So they have to give it back with the full tank of fuel. Full tank of fuel on the car is about 70 pounds. Um, but they filled it with 90 Ron. Oh. Now, it quite clearly states on the fuel cap, minimum 97 octane. They've put 90 on. So the guy from Fiat checked this on his little thing. It said, because when they brought the car in, the car wasn't running right. So he went, why isn't it running right? And they went, well, we put 90 on it anyway. It's minimum 97. So they had, he then had to charging the company, drain the tank, drain the lines, clean the lines, clean the spark plugs, and then refill the tank with 97 octane, at which point they then delivered it back to the car, the guys, with a sticker on it, saying this car is not certified by Fiat, signed the document, gave it back to them, at which point they could give it back to me, all of which took about nine weeks. And every single day the car was with me, it was every single day their courtesy car was with me, that was costing them £75. So you can now see where the cost came from. But because it went over that three and a half thousand pounds, the insurance company will not, they'll go, no, you've gone over. This is your right. fault, you have to pay for this. So to fix my car, for the privilege of fixing my car, this company has been charged about six and a half thousand pounds. Extra, right? Extra. On top of the three plus grand that yep. your insurance company is already covering. Wow. So you're looking at about nine, almost ten grand, yeah, to fix your car. That that that's not coming out of your pocket. No, not coming out of my pocket. Not coming out. I called my insurance company because I basically got a bill that said I'm to pay six hundred pounds, but showed almost ten grand. And I called up my insurance and went, "Um, what the hell? You told me this was going to cost me three. This is going to ruin my insurance premium." And they went, "No, no, 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 don't." look at it again and it shows a breakdown and it shows charge to marshmallow insurance which is my insurance company this amount of money charge to g hostel this amount of money charge to dub 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 um break everyone else hair company this amount and i went oh and she went yeah and explained what i've just been explained and it was quite funny i i can imagine well i was i was enjoying it well, we wish better luck next week to the uh, <laughs> your everyone who touched your car in the last two months. 
Yeah. Or more. What is that? Yeah. Two and a, two and a bit months. Two and a bit but months. Welcome to Better Luck next week. Of course. We've had Gavin's car corner. And I guess that kind of, because we, we didn't have that in the last couple of podcasts. No. We didn't no. have time for that segment, but we brought it back. And I, I guess, this time. I guess that'll be it for that. The old, the old two gunslingers. Yeah, we're it's it's just the two of us now. Just the two of us. Back to the back to the OG, which is fine. You know, we you got to go back to your roots now and then. And it is it is, is episode. What's that? This is the foundation of the greatness of this podcast built on. It is, and it is episode two uh, of season two. If you are confused as to where episode one is, all six of you, um, episode one. Twenty-five. Averaging at, at, at on, on some on some video on some uh listens, yes, but so for whatever reason, when I was exporting episode one, it would the the audio from the video would cut out after about 20 minutes. Oh, though, if when I exported it audio only, it was fine. So I did that twice and it did the same thing twice, and I gave up so. Um, episode one is on Spotify as are uh, all of our episodes as of the Super Bowl preview. So if you're missing episode one, it is on uh, it is on Spotify where that is a full episode with Sean and Bella. Um, and it's a I mean, it's jam packed. We discussed all the refereeing stuff, which we will have more of, as you can see, because I haven't taken down the officiate the officials jersey from back there i would have if uh more things hadn't happened in the nhl which we'll get to in a little while but it is also it's 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 easter it's got a valid point being there for formula one as well hasn't it and we'll we'll get to that in a second too i did just want to say happy easter everyone it is good friday and be Easter Sunday in a couple of days, Easter Monday as well. That's why I have mini eggs in the background as well, which I've been um, gloriously munching on, which has apparently made my face break out slightly into this Illuminati triangle on my face. Isn't that strange where like you break out and it like breaks out in a pattern? Like, what is this? The one, the one that gets me, and I will say, I will shave this monstrosity off my face before Monday. I wasn't um, going to say anything, but it's it's getting a bit aggressive. Um, is this this beard gets oils, keep it nice and moist and stuff like that? If shave my face, I get spots. Yeah. So I'm like, I don't know what's going on. Um. I've, I've, I've been able I've been able to avoid getting like razor burn generally because I shaved yesterday right you can tell yep. and I generally seem to be able to avoid it but I do get the odd one on on the neck mm-hmm. right I feel like the neck's pretty hard to avoid but I'm sure there's I'm sure there's loads of products out there that somebody would come and tell me to use and to make it better but Let's yeah. talk about the, let's talk about those rules starting with Formula One. We had the first Grand Prix, hooray! That was a very good one. It was good. If the entirety of the F1 year is going to be like this, where I would say that everyone within the top twelve is all within punching, I would say like 
that top 12, a top, I'd, I'd say the top eight could be rearranged in any order. And the top 12 is going to be a little bit interesting. There's that fighting region for points. And then there's that top eight. Where I think depending on the day, as this season goes on, any one of those eight could be in the lead or winning the race. Um, but I well, think it did get first... rearranged throughout the, the race as oh, well. Yeah. I mean, the, there were multiple people at the, the back end of top 10 fighting for points, right? I mean, mm-hmm. Stroll was almost out of it at one point. Vettel got bumped out of the points. Alonso yeah. got Alonso, I think, wasn't Alonso 11th? Don't have it. He was 11th me. for a bit and then he got DNF. Oh, right. Yeah, because yes. we did have game we, out. Yeah, we did have a lot of, we, we have four DNFs in this one, which I mean, not great. So if we start Mazepin, obviously. Um, well, was, I, Mazepin just kind of lost control. Well, so let's 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 talk about this then because I I uh, I had quite an interesting co- conversation, which is my now most upvoted comment on Reddit, at currently at six thousand upvotes. Wow. Um, because oh mate, it was brilliant. I ruined some people's lives. So. <laughs> The first thing was that people were turning around and saying Mazepin's terrible. Mazepin is not terrible. Whatever we feel about him personally as a driver, that's our own opinions. Now, yeah. if you watch if you watch the onboards from qualifying, which I suggest you do, Jared, it, when he's going into the corner, I'm trying to use my hands as a visual representation. I did see it. I, I did yeah. see. It. So, going into turn one, if if this is the if this is the steering wheel. So he holds the steering wheel, Bell's thing is spazzing out. He holds the steering wheel perfectly straight, touches the brakes, and before he's done any adjustment with the wheel, the car is already happened. Yeah. So there's more to this than that. There is much more to this than that. And I, I would also like to say, just as well, there's been a lot of people that have been criticizing Mazepin for being a pay flight. And the point where this kind of went nuts on Reddit was someone who turned around and went, you know, we wouldn't have had paid drivers in the likes of Hunt and Lauder's day. Well, James Hunt was funded for the entirety of most of his career, including his time at McLaren, by a wealthy aristocrat who did it because he liked to have parties. So that's a paid driver. Um, and Nicky Lauder's family owned a bank, were very wealthy, and his initial start in Formula One was paid for by himself. So any kind of stipulation that we should judge Mazepin differently because he's a paid driver. Well, I've just pointed out two sports greats, uh, which is, I, I don't think many people would argue on that, were technically paid drivers. Now, you know, this was Mazepin's first race in Formula One and he's fun. I think the only honest difference between what happened with him and Nick Schumacher was where he spun there wasn't a wall to hit. Well, and I that's why I said he lost control. It's not like yeah. it's not like he spun the car out. The car the the, the I mean <laughs> I, I don't know yeah. how else to say it. The car lost yeah, control. Spun. You know, yeah. And he yeah. spun. Like and and to your point about paid drivers, I mean I don't think sports gets anywhere without paid anyone. Yeah. You know, like there there's a certain point where I mean, he's still not going to be in Formula One if he's not Formula One caliber. It's not like he was a bum 
in the mid pack of Formula Two and just no. paid his way into Formula One. It didn't happen. He was in the top of Formula Two for at least mm-hmm. two years. Yeah. Right. I so mean, like it's it's it that's yeah. a bit of a dumb argument to have. Yeah. I mean, these are these anyone. are these are with argument because some people would dispute this the best twenty racing drivers on the planet at the moment. Right. Um, and he okay today he was number twenty, but that doesn't mean he's not great. Um, if we go a bit further up, I think we should just work through all the, like most of the guys. Uh, Fernando Alonso, I mean, don't really know what happened halfway through the race. Alpine just brought him in. Well, yeah, his uh, car just I mean, kind of gave out, right? Yeah, issue with the brakes. I don't know what happened with Latifi. Yeah, Alpine, Alpine seems to be having problems. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, Latifi's. I don't know. His car just kind of gave out too, I guess, and then. Um, Pierre Gasly, if I'm honest, had a poor race. <laughs> Not that he didn't have a poor race, but he just was in the wrong place at the wrong time at every point. He got his front wing taken off with he, him and uh, Daniel Ricciardo had an incident, and then the back of his car got hit by uh, Sebastian Vettel. So both ends kind of got hit. At well, that point. was that was yeah. Ocon that got hit. Oh no, Pierre Gasly got hit from behind as well by someone else. Yeah, because it was because yeah. Uh, yeah. Because Ocon and Vettel were fighting for position for a while, and then Vettel just, after claiming the inside, Vettel then decided to take the outside and just smashed into Ocon's rear. It was very weird. I don't know what Vettel was thinking when he did that. Mm -hmm. It was kind of a brain-dead move. Um, But, I mean, Vettel... There's two sides of it because Vettel seems to be getting a reputation a bit of being a crasher now on the course, Mm -hmm. but he's still one of the the classiest drivers because Mm -hmm. there was a clip at the end where he went and apologized to Ocon and shook his hand and everything. And both, Mm -hmm. both cars did finish the race still. Despite yeah, both both, both cars Yeah, because um, it was pretty late in the race, so they were able yeah, to of... push it to the end. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, just strange the way that uh, happened. So if we just move on, uh, Mick Schumacher, Sebastian Vettel, George Russell, West Hamilton, Giovinazzi, Kimi. I mean, all fairly good. Uh, nothing massive to report. Lance Stroll coming in tenth for quite a good drive, and then my new favourite, my boo. Yunuki Sonoda, because I'm sorry, but in his first race, his first race in Formula One, not only did he almost outqualify Lewis Hamilton in Q2, which was just a bomb by lap. Let's go through the people he had to overtake to get to where he was. Fernando Alonso, Sebastian Vettel, Kimi Raikkonen, and then finally Lance Stroll. Now, Lance Stroll, okay, we'll, we'll ignore from the thing. Let's just <laughs> say those names again. Alonso, Vettel, Raikkonen. Well, and the best, and the best thing that made him immediately lovable yeah. uh, was when he pulled up to the grid yeah. and drove past his grid spot because he went, "Oh, well, that's the free, that's mine, that's the free one," and then yeah. got there and went, "Oh shit, that's this is supposed to be Sergio Perez's spot, but he's starting in the pit. I've got to back up now." 
fully reverses back to his spot. And then the race happens. Formula One posts that on their Instagram. And Mm -hmm. he goes and comments a shushy emoji (laughs) in the comments. But no, it just it just it showed to me Brilliant. that because okay yeah in ninth great brilliant finishing your first thing and that Alpha Tauri is obviously very good but the fact that he went past some of the you know some of the greats in this sport like Kimi Raikkonen and Vettel and Alonso will go down as some of the greatest Formula One drivers of, of this era and he just passed them. And it wasn't they let him by. It was for position, and he overtook them. Yeah, he fought them and got fast. That's brilliant. Um, he also just has this dramatic style to driving the car. Like If you watch some of his onboards from qualifying, my favourite one is in, in turn three, which is a kind of a dogleg right-hander, um, everyone else is coming in and braking about the 70-yard ball. And he does that his first two laps, and then on his third lap, he breaks 30 yards later turns the car in, does a four-wheel skid. At what point you see his helmet look out the side of the car, <laughs> gathers it all up somehow, bounces off the curb and goes along. And then his engineer goes, you're okay. And he went, yep, found the limit and keeps driving. <laughs> I'm just like, oh, when I'm looking out of the passenger window, I found the limit. Okay, mm. cool. And he just... I can't go any oh. more sideways than this, or I'll be backwards. He's just like, cool. Um, you then, I mean, if we look, and this is the top eight I'm talking about. So, Carlos Sainz Jr., very, very good race from him. Um, I think he's still getting used to that Ferrari a little bit. Daniel Ricciardo did have damage. Um, so, it's reported that whatever happens with... Um, was it yeah, Gasly, right? Field, yeah, Gasly in front of him. The bits of wing went underneath his floor and damaged his floor and gave him a severe reduction of downforce, which Daniel said he was struggling with the car the entire race. And then when he then spoke to um, McLaren, he was like, look, guys, first race, I'll get on top of it. I'm really sorry. And they went, yeah, your floor was damaged. And he went, oh, thank God. Because <laughs> evidently he, think, he thought he hadn't done, it, done very well. Charles Leclerc is showing that whatever was wrong with that Ferrari last year, he's evidently managed to switch back on whatever switch was off or something like that, that Ferrari is quick again. Um, Sergio Perez is making a habit of being able to come from last to a very good position. Um, it's like he's good or something. It's, uh, it's very good. Very good. <laughs> I, um, I, I still can't believe that people were actually suggesting that he was going to be out of Formula One this year. It would have been a crying shame. An absolute crying shame. Um, because obviously whatever happens with that Red Bull, there is something going on with the Red Bull, but I don't I don't want to comment too much because it was there was nothing official about it. Because obviously on the parade lap, his car's going around the corner and just the lights go out, which for <laughs> yeah. Sergio Perez much have must have been a horrible way to start the race because he's like, right, I've qualified fifth. And push here a bit, and I go, and then you just just watch the lights go out on the screen. And go. <laughs> Hello. Which <laughs> uh, when it does start back up, he goes straight through the thing and goes again, um, and manages to climb his way back up to fifth, which is very good. Um, I think that 
it's going to be very interesting from him because I, I hope he'll be able to slot that car in and we'll have a bit more of a race the next couple of times because that was the thing that allowed Mercedes to beat Red Bull this time because they had two drivers in the top three. They could basically go either side of Verstappen and know that one of the strategies would work and they'd beat him. Um, next up, we've got Lando Norris, who I think has turned a corner. He went forward in this race, forward very well, um, and admittedly the only person in front of him and was only in front of him by about 10-ish seconds was Valtteri Bottas. Mm. Um, and I think that if we get two McLarens that are on song at a circuit that suits McLarens, we could very much see them a lot. I think they're third in the constructors at the moment, but I think McLaren could be bringing the challenge to record maybe Mercedes this year. I'd be interested. I'm excited because we don't just have Mercedes disappearing off into the distance. Red Bull's following them and everyone else fighting for everything else. There are possibilities now that on certain circuits and in certain situations, a team will be able to challenge them. It's not like last year where we went, well, we need circuits that suits Red Bull so that they can catch because the circuits that suit Red Bull, good. The circuits that don't suit Ferrari are going to be those circuits that suit Red Bull. So at different circuits, different people are going to be quicker and different people are going to be able to challenge them which I'm really looking forward to. Um, Valtteri Bottas, third, I mean, that's... I don't really know what I can say about that. Um, expected. Then, expected. Uh, and then Max Verstappen and Lewis Hamilton. Not the order that at certain points in this race I thought that was going to happen. Um, but it, it's a little bit interesting how this ended up because I think this will lead us into the, the conversation now. Turn four, wasn't it? Yeah, it was turn four where the track limits were being pushed basically yeah. by everyone for the entirety of the race until suddenly like that. Yeah. I I I like what you said at the beginning where you said if Formula One Grand Prix are like this throughout the season, I'm very excited. So am I. However, they've slipped back into the pattern already of Oh, it's all wonderful and great and oh very exciting until the marshals step in and ruin it. Yeah. And this is that's that's exactly what happened in the, in, in this one again because mm-hmm. you have a rule where yeah. you cannot go beyond the track limits. Period. Yeah, well, the rule like is you're not, the rule is by the letter of the law you are allowed two wheels over that white line. Right. Um and then the wheel, the, the inside wheels are allowed to touch the front. So, yeah. so you, you have to, to you have to still it. have at least two wheels on the track line. Yeah. But at this particular turn, because of the way it's designed, it actually makes it it's actually faster to go off the track completely. Yeah. And so people were doing that mm-hmm. for the whole race. Everyone yeah. was Hamilton, Verstappen, Bottas. You go down the yeah. grid. They were all doing it because they figured out in qualifying. Oh well, this is actually, you know, well, a one so hundredth of a second faster if I go like this. So they did yeah. it, and then the second that 
Verstappen made a move on Hamilton. It happened to be in this corner. To me, hmm. I don't know. It's a pretty judgment call whether or not Hamilton forced him off the track because hmm. Hamilton is right there. Like there's no room for Verstappen to still be on the track where Hamilton is. So you could yeah. argue, certainly I would argue that Verstappen may or may not have been pushed off the track. But regardless, mm-hmm. Verstappen gets ahead because mm-hmm. you gain an advantage by going wider on yeah. turn four. So then he was told that he had to give the place back because he gained an advantage by going wide on turn four. Well, everyone did that for the whole race. Yeah. So, so uh, everybody should have been penalized yeah. the yeah. second it was going on to begin with because you've already set the precedence of, oh, well... It's okay because you're not passing anyone. Well, that's not in the rule. You gain an advantage every time you do it, regardless yeah. of whether or not you're passing someone. Like mm-hmm. it's the thing for me for this is it's difficult where the line is. Not well, it shouldn't be difficult where the line is drawn. There's a white line around the circuit, and these teams have every single little piece of GPS technology on every single piece of the car. They know where it is. They know yeah. where the car is. They know what it's doing. They know. You, you know, they, want, they know what the driver's pulse is, for sake. Um, so they know when he goes over track limits. Now, for practice one, practice two, practice three, qualifying, and 38 laps of this race, no one had a single problem. No one brought up track limits. Nope. You've got, you've got cars going two, you know, going up two feet off the, off the circuit. Not track, you know, not full. Now... It's difficult because without both onboards here and the telemetry, I can't tell you. But what I can postulate and think is that seven-time world champion Lewis Hamilton, who knows where he's putting the car, anyone who says any any otherwise or anything like that, go, oh, well, you know, the car drifted or stuff like that. He is not a seven-time world champion because things He's a seven-time world champion because he knows exactly where to put the car and what to do with it. Now, he knew he knew Verstappen was hunting him down. Evidently, the Mercedes did not have a dial that they could turn up or didn't have the pace of the car to pull away. Right. He's he knew that Verstappen go, okay, was gonna got, catch him. There was no, there was no doubt that Verstappen was gonna catch him. He knew as soon as Verstappen he knew where Verstappen was gonna go past him because they all knew. Now if I'm Lewis Hamilton, I know that if Verstappen gets past me, I need to do it in a way that, yes, he gets past me, but I then need to overtake, be able to go overtake him. And the only way to do that is to force him onto the dirty side of the track, over the line, and over to the dirty rubber, at which point he picks up loads of stuff on his wheels, and it slows him down. Because if I'm Lewis Hamilton, I know that track limits haven't been enforced the entire race, so... What I'm going to do is I'm going to take my normal line, and the only way if Verstappen wants it, he's got to go outside on the crack, on the on the rubble, on all that kind of stuff, and pick that up on his bike. Because then the next couple of corners, he's got dirt on his tires. He's not going to be able to take them as quick. I've got a chance of getting back. So as I go around the corner, I see Verstappen in my mirrors. I'm going to let the car come wide because that's because. If Hamilton wanted to, he could have brought that. T- he could have brought that line tighter. He could have touched the brakes and it would have brought in. He could have done one of a million things. He put the car where he wanted to put the car, then sent Verstappen over the rubble, under the expectation that Verstappen was going to go past him, as he did. 
Hamilton then, for the short period of time that he was, maintained the gap within a second, waiting for the next DRS zone, where he knows that a Verstappen with 30 tyres is going to have to break early. If he can go past, and we have a race for the last four laps. Now, really, at that point, when Verstappen went round the outside and stuff like that, the stewards should have stepped back and gone racing. Yeah, it's happened the whole. It's happened the whole race. Yes. And if, if, to me, I think one of the reasons that, that Red Bull turned around and said, no, you've got to let him pass and all this kind of stuff, was that they were partially expecting at the end of the race an investigation to go, well, did he pass him off the circuit? Now, if I'm a steward and Mercedes come in and say he passed us off the circuit, I'm just going to turn around with a Polaroid of their car three feet off the track with a lap number and just flick through and go, here's lap one, you went off the track. Two, lap three, lap four, lap five, lap six. Go the entire Grand Prix with your cars going three foot off the circuit. So the fact that he's passed you five foot over the circuit is a new point. If we don't, if we don't, if we don't penalise Hamilton for going, you know, penalise anyone for going a yard, two yards off the circuit, we can't penalise Verstappen because he went five yards off the circuit. No. So to me, this should have been the other way round. But actually, then you've got Max Verstappen with dirty tyres, who's just expended all of his energy getting past Lewis Hamilton, and you've got Lewis Hamilton behind him with almost you know hard tyre but level pegging with four laps to go. This could have gone either way. And to be honest, at one point with how they were dicing with each other, I thought it's going to be a very interesting podium with Valtteri Bottas, Lando Norris, and Sergio Perez. So <laughs> you thought it, they were going to crash, eh? Absolutely. I thought this was a little bit of a, a whoopsie. Mm. Um, I think that going into the next circuit, we either need to we need to enforce track limits because that's why they're there. Because otherwise, if we throw them away, the drivers will just basically drive the, however they want. Yeah, the driver they're not going to care. If the second this is the thing, the second you don't uphold the rule from mm-hmm. the beginning yeah the athletes are going to take advantage of it it's just it's just how the world works if you say this is okay people are gonna mm-hmm. go okay i can do this now this is okay it's like the whole covid thing that's going on yeah. ontario keeps opening up restrictions and loosening things off so people are gonna go okay i can do stuff now and then the government turns around and blames us for mm-hmm. doing the stuff that they allowed us to do it's anyways yeah. too much politics yeah. I, I apologize I, I guarantee you uh, in practice one lewis hamilton did one lap where he went inside track limits on that lap on that circuit and then he did one lap where he went outside track limits on thing four and waited for the stewards to go track limits thing four don't don't and let they, it happen again. and they did point, it he would, yeah that was the point he went okay well then probably they've said well looked at the telemetry all right it's faster if you go over track limits on turn and Lewis would have gone, well, I'll try it again in this and I'll try one of the first laps in qualifying and see if anyone pulls it up. At which point no one pulled it up. The team went, cool, that's the line. Yeah. No one's going to say anything. Yeah, you, you, you got to, you manage the players, mm-hmm. you manage the athletes by calling the yeah. rules. It's that simple. 
and we'll get into that more a bit later with hockey and whatnot. But so the yeah. final, the final place. Personally, I thought this was Verstappen's Grand Prix to win, and it was robbed yeah. of him, robbed yes. from him uh, by the the marshals and the stewards. But mm-hmm. so it was Hamilton, Verstappen, Bottas. I predicted, I believe, I predicted Verstappen, Hamilton, Ricardo. Yeah. So, so, so well, I get I get two points, yeah, out of six because I have Hamilton and Verstappen on the podium, but not yeah. in the right order. So I get one point because I had actually no, I get two points as well because I had Hamilton, Norris, Ricardo. Yes, you're. Didn't tell me that. <laughs> your your grids are always very interesting. Yeah, well, I like to make it a bit fun. Well, you gave you gave the top five, and if I remember correctly, you had you didn't even have Bottas in the top five, and you had Verstappen like fifth, and I was like, "Are you okay?" <laughs> well, I fell for my own thing, which was in qualifying. It made me laugh. Everyone was like, "Mercedes aren't going to do well." The Mercedes aren't going to do well. Q3, Hamilton puts it on pole, first lap out, and I just put my pen down and went, really? <laughs> <laughs> because it was like for the entirety of like pre-season testing, the entire practice, oh, we're slow, we're slow, we're slow. And literally, you could have taken a little sandbag out of that Mercedes for the joke. Like if I was Mercedes and I was doing the joke, before I sent it out in Q3, I would have taken a little sandbag out of somewhere of the car, placed it on the floor in the garage, and then sent the car out. That would have been a really great April Fool's gag, and it's a shame that April Fool's isn't today. Yeah, for qualifying for the next Grand Prix because they should have done it like that. Yeah, it was <laughs> funny, um, but yeah, it's going to be an interesting year. It's going to be a very interesting year because we go to different places at different times. My right, it's it's not in the same order as it always is, right? We touched on that last week. My one outside hope is that um, at some point, obviously, normally the first race of the season is at Australia, and Daniel Ricciardo's never won it. Right. So I would like for him to win his home race. That's and they're change, and they're they're going to change that up as well. But maybe we'll talk. We'll discuss that when Australia's. A little bit more approaching. We're already going back to Emilia uh, Romagna, mm-hmm. uh, if I'm saying that correctly. But yes, it's it's not till the 18th, so we've got no. a couple weeks actually of mm-hmm. break already. Like um, so each team is going to have an opportunity to tweak things after this first Grand Prix. I mean, obviously Mazepin is going to be uh, at Haas to make sure that his car is in working order again. But let's uh, let's carry on now. My, my, my I think that's good. We don't we can't really yeah. preview a Grand Prix two weeks from now. No, my favorite thing though from this barring Grand Prix is when uh, Roman Grosjean did a live stream and was actually there and doing some punditry and stuff like that. And um, when he was talking to Sky and talking through Skypad about a lap, when he went past the barrier, he went. So that's my barrier. And they went what? And he went yeah, it's mine. And everyone went, what? And he went, it's mine. And he and everyone looked at him confused. And he went, well, I went through it. If it's good, if you're gonna name it after anyone, it should be mine. And everyone just kind of gave it him a confused look and carried on. And my favorite thing is Roman Grosjean going, that's my barrier. 
of everything that he wants named after him, all of this kind of stuff, and all these things he like, you know, changed in Formula One. My barrier. He wants the barrier that almost killed him named after him. I mean, if it was me, I would have I would have the barrier cut and I would have it in my home. Just like over it just like over your bed room. somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> Use the right screws. Right. There's absolutely nothing going on in the NFL right now. Nobody's signed. It's kind of the it's kind of the dead week after the initial rush of free agency. Julian Edelman scared all of the Patriots fans. By saying he might go to Tampa. Well, no, he just he just posted a gift which was Captain Jack Furry saying it's a pirate's life for me. And the Patriots fandom panicked. <laughs> That's that very scared, funny. Like, that's the best April Fools I've seen. I was going to say, was that yesterday? Yeah, I was worried. That's very good. What? I did. I did think it was. I had. I had mixed reactions of for for Tom Brady's because he posted because he's a he's a part owner of the Tampa Bay Rays, right? The baseball team. Yeah. And that because they have literally negative fans, like nobody goes to Tampa Bay Ray games. No. Nobody at all. Uh, I'm pretty sure the Florida Panthers have more attendance at this point than the Tampa Bay Rays. But they, so he, so he's a part owner and they split some of, um, some of not last season, the season before, I think they split some of that time between Tampa Bay and Montreal that used Mm -hmm. to have a baseball team, the Montreal Expos. And so he posted, um, that he's so excited to bring baseball back to Montreal and to be the first owner, manager, and player of any team in existence, and all this stuff, because he was actually drafted by the Expos. Because this happens a lot, where NFL players, uh, well, I mean, NCAA yeah. graduates, kind of go, well, am I going to play baseball or am I going to play football? Because they seem to do both, or seem to yeah, have done both. For oppose each other, right? They seem to just kind of go together. So he was yeah. drafted by the Expos, funny mm. enough. And now he's a part owner of the Tampa Bay Rays. So I thought it was funny on some levels, but on other levels, I just felt bad for the people of Montreal because they did effectively have their team ripped from them by a selfish owner that moved them to Washington. Mm. Um, that was the sole reason that he bought them was to bankrupt them in Montreal and move them to uh, Washington. Yeah, it was actually pretty shady how that all happened and pretty disappointing. But yeah. so he so he he toys with poor Montreal. I mean, cuz they do. They I think they deserve another baseball team. They love their baseball in Quebec and Atlantic Canada as well. Like the, the half of the Toronto Blue Jays fan base is out there. Um, because they went, well, we've lost our Expos now, so I guess we'll just cheer for the Blue Jays cuz that's the only team in Canada. But I thought that I thought that was pretty funny. That's about as much news yeah. that's in the yeah, NFL, right? NFL right now. That's well about it. Um, should we move on to the NHL? Shall yeah. I so I showed you. I showed you something. But should I comment on it first? Because no. Well, I'll I'll, I'll, I'll preface it. I'll I'll preface the whole thing first. So mm-hmm. this past week, actually, not even not even forty eight hours ago. The Colorado Avalanche were playing the Arizona Coyotes in Colorado, and there was a bit of a scuffle. 
between Nathan McKinnon and Connor Garland. And Nathan McKinnon is a bona fide star player in the NHL who, uh, because of the way the NHL is officiated, which we discussed last week, the stars do not draw enough penalties and basically get abused for their entire careers, especially mm-hmm. if there's not if they don't have a goon on the ice to protect them. I mean, that's why that's why Wayne Gretzky was so successful uh, uh, to a degree. You can argue yeah. that a contributing factor to it was that he had a big bruiser named Marty McSorley that would just go around and beat up anyone that tried anything against Gretzky. Right. Mm-hmm. If you, so if you went on the ice and, and you know, you, you ran over Gretzky a little hard, mm-hmm. you can bet that uh, Marty McSorley on his next shift is going to come out and cave your face in with his fist. Yeah. You know, so now that that doesn't really happen anymore because the game has moved so much more to skill based players, mm-hmm. the. The, the onus is on the referees and the officials to protect the star players. And they don't because they reward dirty teams by penalizing clean teams more when they play dirty teams, because it's got to be fair or whatever, or they just let them go, let them get away with everything. And mm-hmm. Nathan McKinnon is one of those guys that, Anyone that attacks him basically gets away with murder. So unless you just, you know, remove Nathan McKinnon's hand with your stick, you'll you'll probably get away with it. So he was taking some abuse and specifically Connor Garland had run him over in front of the net earlier in the game, which there was no call on, which I mean, there could have been. It was a clean enough hit, but he, you know, I would, I would have to look at it again to, 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 define whether or not there could have been a penalty on it but regardless you know you get frustrated when you think you have an offensive opportunity and you get cleaned out right yeah so mckinnon's in frustration he notices that garland is battling in the corner so he goes in to start battling with him and the two start to tussle with each other start grabbing at each other and you know by this point the referee should be calling roughing on both of them but he hasn't Mm -hmm. yeah McKinnon rips Garland's helmet off, at which point other players start joining the, the, the hullabaloo. Yeah. And then because McKinnon's ripped Garland's helmet off, Garland, Garland gets some separation between them so that they stop ruffling with each other. Yeah. And McKinnon underarm tosses Garland's helmet at his face. And it hits him right here as yeah. he tries to catch it. Now, this was a 10-minute misconduct in the game mm-hmm. for Nathan McKinnon, which so he sits in the box for 10 minutes and then he come and then he can come back. Like, yeah. okay. And then he was fined the maximum fine of five thousand uh, dollars under the NHL CBA. Now, the other thing is that Connor McDavid, another one of these stars that gets you know, violently abused throughout his entire career. Yeah. Uh, was in a similar situation. He was getting abused in the game during the Montreal, against the Montreal Canadiens, uh, the Edmonton Oilers captain, then decided to throw a late hit on one of the young stars who was granted abusing him on the Montreal mm-hmm. Canadiens, uh, Jesperi Kotkaniemi. And he kind of, the puck's already gone. So it's a late hit. So it's definitely interference, but he kind of drives, he goes to hit him and then he like drives 
through his shoulder and up into Kotkaniemi's face. He got a penalty for it and then was fined $5,000, the maximum under the CBA. So what the NHL has effectively done here is said that throwing a piece of equipment at an opponent is the same as a high hit and, and a, a lighter high hit. I mean, I've seen, I've seen people get fined. People get less punishment for doing worse than Connor McDavid did. And at the time I thought, you know, maybe McDavid should get a one game suspension, whatever. Mm. But having looked at it more, maybe the fine is justified. I don't know. I'm of the opinion that you get rid of a head check, no matter how it happens. Um, and hold I mean, these guys accountable. We've, we've had that argument until we're blue in the face about you hit, hitting the head. Like, that should be simple. Yeah. Um, the thing for me with this one is that you've got a larger guy, because I don't know the player's name and everything like but you've got a larger guy who's maybe an excellent hockey player, but part of his job and part of his debrief and all that kind of stuff, in my opinion, would have been you need to make this guy not have the best game. Now, if he wanted to, he could have gone up to him, dropped his gloves, another fight. But he didn't do that because that just doesn't succeed. Right, and that's that's usually point, that's usually yeah. not what stars do, right? Nathan yeah. McKinnon, Nathan McKinnon's not really going to fight someone because he needs his wrists intact so that he can score goals. Yeah, he puts his arm around this guy, like he's shoving this guy around. He puts his arm over this guy's head, puts him in a headlock. The helmet comes off, he skates away with his helmet. The teams are kind of doing that tough. Now, that guy's purpose there is to wind this guy up. Now, this wasn't to me, from how it looks, an aggressive, I'm going to throw this at your head to hurt you. Right. To me, they're chuntering backwards and forwards. They're winding each other up. They're, you know, this guy's job is that he's a senior player in the NFL, in the NHL. He's winding this guy up. That's what he's doing. He's winding this guy up. He's putting him off his game. And then to finish it all off, the final straw would, for me would be, right, chuck his helmet back at him and kind of throw it at him, hit him in the guts of the punch. And it goes a bit wrong and, yeah, he hits him in the face. For me, this shouldn't have been allowed to get this far, really. Nope. Um, and the other thing is, okay, it's all down to subtext and stuff like that because if you wrote down the bullet points of this, two players went into the corner, were, abu- were verbally abusing each other, one ripped off another's helmet and then threw it at the other player. Now, if you have that paragraph, then you could look at that and go, suspension for five games, big fine, all that kind of stuff. But this is a bit different to that. The thing for me is, is that there needs to be an element of holding the more experienced players a bit more accountable because this more experienced player has probably about, I don't know, 30, 40 pounds on this kid. Kid's yeah, Connor, Ga- Connor Garland is both smaller and lighter than Nathan McKinnon, absolutely. Yeah. So the guy is one, the senior player is completely in control of this altercation. And the throwing of the helmet is unnecessary. Now, I would put the onus on the senior player and say, you were roughing him. You know, not 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 to a point, I, I would almost have this as a verbal warning. 
like this can't happen again, one game suspension, five thousand dollar fine. It makes sense to me, but the problem is, is that you're not okay. Yeah, five thousand dollar fine is probably going to hurt his pocket, but he makes he's... ten million dollars a year. Not really. Oh no. Yeah. Um, he's probably he's pro- he's probably gone back to his coach's office. His coach went, "Well done. You put that kid off his game. You succeeded in what you needed to achieve." Yeah, like this goes. This goes back to a whole cultural issue around hockey, where mm-hmm. you you praise dirty play because mm-hmm. it throws people off. You are allowing stuff to slip away simply because because what the NHL seems to do is if if a player is penalized justifiably in game, yeah. they don't take extra uh, enforcement. Yeah. So the so for this, the NHL decided that oh, the ten minute misconduct was enough of a punishment in the game for this penalty, which they then went oh, so we'll just fine him then. No, this this the thing is is that you can you you have to decide to go one or two like either you need to take a step back at which point the teams will then have to have a bruiser on the team because if you've got a guy like this young star, the conversation with this young star shouldn't have been, like, if you're not going to enforce this, then really that young star should have been able to skate back to the bench, go to the muscle-bound guy with hands for hands and go, he's winding me up, he's putting me off my game, knock seven shades out of it. Yeah. At which point that to me is resolved because... If you're not going to do the other side, which is big, fine game, you know, you basically got to make it so that the team goes, as much as we want to put him off his game by winding him up and pushing him around a bit, we can't lose this guy for two, for one game and this big a fine. If you're not going to do that, then you need to allow them to do the latter. Yeah. Which is, okay, well, such and such, you know, your, your star skates back to the bench, and such to winding me up, go and knock seven shades out of him. At which point, this guy gets some retribution because going into the next game, you know, if the coach turns around and goes, Hey, uh, hey, Phil, I want you to wind up their star player, the start the Phil's going to go, I'd do it, coach, but you know, punchy McPunch base, he's also on that team. And did you see what they did to Pete last week? Pete wound up punching McPunch face, punching McPunch face and star player. And punching McPunch face knocked him out, and then you just cut to Phil in the corner, like. <laughs> then you know you have to you have to protect these stars somehow because you're going to have really skilled players, and you're going to like if you don't enforce the stuff to protect them, then you need to allow the way. Because the reason you said that Wayne Gretzky was so good was because he had a big guy, and I'm sure. That there were quite a few people that had shots lined up on Wayne Gretzky and could have gone, I could ruin this man's career with an elbow right now. Yeah. But when, but if I do that, I'm going to be drinking my meals for a straw for the next two weeks. Yeah. And that puts that little bit of, I'm not going to do that. So if this guy had had a bruiser with him and, you know, this guy's just chucked his helmet back, you're not going to do that because the very next play you're on the ice, even if you do come out 10 minutes and 5,000 pounds lighter, you know, the next day is the team's bruiser is going to skate up to you and go, yeah, sorry, bud, I've got to deal with this. Yeah, they're going to get your face caved. So they have to pick either way. But if they don't start, if the NHL doesn't start doing one, I can guarantee you the teams are going to start doing the other. 
what what my other thing too is when i i remember when i when i saw this what i thought back to when that cleveland browns defensive lineman swung his helmet at at ben rudolph mm-hmm. right or what that's ben adam aaron rudolph whatever yeah, name. <laughs> the backup quarterback for the pittsburgh steelers now it's not on the same level because that guy no, personally attacked of, him if right you put both of, if you put both of these in the bullet points the bullet points are very similar the bullet points come out similar that's my issue is that you you used a piece of equipment as a weapon yeah, I say, wep- yeah, I say I- weapon lightly for the for the for the hockey part of it. But still, he did throw a right. piece of plastic. You threw a piece of you threw a piece of player's own equipment at him. Mm-hmm. I don't care how heavily you threw it or not. But you should that, be th- that, you should be throwing the book at this guy. That, that's another one where it comes down to these rules are too too much to defend. Because really, in reality, then you know you should make that a basic rule. If you if you if you use a piece of equipment or, you know, throw javelin, whatever, another piece of equipment back at another player and that whatever happens or not, 10,000 pound pocket, 15,000 pound pocket. Well, yeah. And it, it's, it's, it's already in the rules to a degree where, I mean, if you, if you, if, if a guy's on a breakaway and you yeah. and you're a defender and you like throw your stick to try and knock the puck yeah. away from him he gets a penalty shot so there's already rules for mm-hmm. not throwing shit at people yeah. but then they don't uphold the rule when somebody actually the throws problem, something at someone yeah, and then the problem with the problem around the, this rule and all this kind of stuff is then sometimes teams do horrible things i was walking watching uh, one of the hockey highlights recently where uh, a goalie uplifted his own goal yeah and that's and been was, that's been made yeah. illegal now too yeah but the thing for me was that when it was explained to me i, I kind of sat there and thought no actually the goalie's made a smart fight because he had a two-on-one breakaway if he lifts the goal the team gets a penalty at which point he's got a one-on-one so by him doing that he's improved his situation so you you've got to make these things so clear that it can't be argued with because the thing for me is if let's say you know let's let's make the rule now let's say the rule is if you throw a piece of equipment at another player fifteen thousand dollars the only situation where this is i would i want a suspension in there yeah fifteen thousand and a two game suspension the only and then uh, that's the base that's the base base. and then i would put then there's the degree yeah so that's the you chuck you know you chuck your helmet to a at someone fifteen thousand dollars two game fine to start with then rest discretion for further penalties yeah and this so and it shouldn't matter. matter it shouldn't matter what the referee calls on the ice the referee yeah. could call two minutes or the referee could throw you out of the game or the referee mm-hmm. could do absolutely nothing you threw your you threw a piece of equipment at another player you get a two-game suspension and the maximum fine as the, the only, base limit. The only situation to me where this can be overruled is if another player is being nice, skates along the ice, picks up a guy's helmet and chucks it back to him as he's going off the ice. But even then, 
you simply turn around to the other player who had a helmet chucked at him and caught it and went, was he just chucking that back at you? And the guy goes, yeah. End on. Yeah. You, I think you can also yeah. tell if a player picks up a helmet and goes, here you go, buddy. It's yeah. going to be a nice little lob. And, that, and the that, guy that, can yeah, easily yeah. catch it. It's not going to be an underarm softball pitch thrown at his face. It's, it's not going to be an underarm softball pitch to a guy you've spent 20 minutes winding up. Yeah. And it's also the, the guy who, you know, caught you with your head down earlier in the game yeah. and, and made yeah. you pay for it because you were being a dingus. I would also say that one of the things that needs to be a bit more enforced, and it is a little bit in rugby, is the senior player aspect because and there's an element to this in formula one there's an element to this in rugby that the uh, because we've had it before and stuff like that where i think in his first year in formula one max verstappen got hit by um wasn't perez i think it was it was alonso they clicked and it was one of those things where you could have called it either way, but what Formula One did is they went, Alonso, you're the senior driver. You've been here a lot longer. You should have taken responsibility. You you have more control over that situation than Max does. So the onus is on you. And I think actually Alonso got a bit more of a telling off than Verstappen did. Mm. Now, in this situation, for me, they both tussled and stuff out and wound themselves up. I would put a little bit of the onus on if you know if this happens between two players, it's their first year in the league. There's a lot of you know pressure. There's a lot of things going on and all this kind of stuff. Then I'd go, okay, both of you are equally to blame. But in this situation, you've got a senior player and you've got a younger player. I would be turning around to the senior player and going, you knew how you knew what you were doing. Him less so. So the onus is on you more and you put that pressure on the older players one to set the example and two to not allow bad behavior to continue now what i will say is it applies sort of to this situation i think it's a good idea um Mm -hmm. so you have you for this situation you would have to look at years in the NHL. This is Connor Garland's yeah. third year in the NHL, but he's the same age as Nathan McKinnon. But Nathan McKinnon's been in the league longer. So you want to look at it from years in the league yeah. and not necessarily age, which I still think you were going for that anyways. But yeah, that was my just aim. wanted that just wanted to aim. clarify mm-hmm. for people. Well yeah, I mean it's it's the same thing with rugby and stuff like that. Like if you're playing rugby um, because uh, in the UK, as soon as you go over the age of 21, then, you know, it kind of goes. And one of the very uh, big reported things, uh, James Haskell, who's been in the news recently, um, who's quite a popular, he used to play for England and stuff like that. At one point, when he was playing for Saracens, he tackled their new, um, brand new uh, rookie winger and stuff like that. And it was quite a hard tackle. It was quite rough, quite aggressive flew in from about 10 feet out um, and he actually got removed from the game. Now the reason wasn't because of the dirty tackle. The reason was because the ref knew and said I know that you could have you could have made that same tackle from five yards out and achieved the same result. 
you wanted to hit him hard and there's an element because it was one of his first games in higher tier rugby that he was still kind of almost learning like he didn't yeah he wasn't used to it so he was almost a defenseless player there's an element of that right. um which i think is something that should be included because it kind of if, if you've been in the nhl one year compared to someone that's been in it for five years the level of you know kind of where your brain's at and stuff like that isn't going to be the same so it's a bit different to me yeah and i i just really hope there's some major changes that go on well i don't think we're going to see any for this season of the nhl no. because the nhl is never proactive about anything no, um, this is this is just where they are it's a fact um people can come at me for that um, you know, and the fact that I, I, of course, one day would like to work for an NHL hockey team, but mm-hmm. that doesn't mean that you, you can't, you, there's this idea of, oh, well, you know, when you work for somebody, you have to ignore all the bad things about them. Well, no, um, you know, this is where the NHL is at right now. And mm-hmm. I sincerely hope that they sit down over this summer and have a real good reflection on how their game is played because it's been like this for so many years. I still think that, <laughs> that bless you, Thank you. I still uh, feel that Tim Peel has been woefully just used as the scapegoat by this league. They fired him because he said the thing that has been happening for years, for decades in this league. We have full proof now that literally certain teams have won games and won championships because of how the game is officiated, not because of how skilled those teams are. Mm-hmm. And we've seen it for years where the, the heavier, bigger, and oftentimes dirtier teams end mm-hmm. up winning because they get more leniency with the rules because it has to be called fairly call it fairly by calling the rules manage the game by calling the rules you'll manage the players by calling the rules it's it's that simple yeah you don't I, i think almost the game management side of it needs to be taken away well, but you man, you manage the game by calling the rules. I don't understand where people are like separating the two, mm-hmm. and they are. But when you when you manage a game, mm-hmm. you are calling the rules so that it doesn't get out of hand. Because if yeah. it, if the game gets out of hand, you've lost at game management. Yeah. Right. You haven't managed yeah. tempers. You haven't managed the players and the way the game's going. And if the game is going dirty, you have to call the penalties. But they have to be called based on the rules. Anyways, you know, things get fabricated all the time in the NHL. And it's it's pretty awful Mm -hmm. to just watch penalties just kind of happen or not. I think we will get pretty close to ending it there because I don't think we do it pretty close. But the one thing that I will say, and a sport that we don't often comment on, but a sport that has just knows its target audience has gone, right, cool, let's let's have some fun with it, is NASCAR, because they impressed me this week. Because of all the things that NASCAR could do, 
And now there's a lot of people that down on NASCAR and all this kind of stuff, but they do, you know, they are NASCAR. It's how they are. <laughs> but they had a race on dirt. They basically were like, it's how, and it wasn't even like an anniversary or something like that, I don't think. They just were like, oh, at the next, next race circuit, the owners said, hey, I could make it a dirt track. NASCAR went, cool, do it. And basically, this guy took this NASCAR circuit, covered it in a layer of dirt, and all the teams turned up with the puzzled look, and NASCAR's went, race on dirt. Yeah, and, and they did the it. Went, oh, okay. And it was quite fun. Yeah, this was, on, this was on Monday the 29th. Yep, and it was, I didn't, it was I didn't even know about fun. this. Yeah, it was all on dirt at Bristol Motor Speedway. Yep. Which is uh um where is that? It's in the United States, obviously. Yep. And uh-huh. yeah. That's great. You know what? I, I, I credit NASCAR because they've had a lot of backlash for trying to get away from their um <laughs> the Oops. you know the issues that they've had in their past with the types of people that tend to gravitate to NASCAR. Um, I can see where you're going with that. Yeah, that's all I'll say about Mm -hmm. it. But, you know, so they've tried to get away with that or from that. They've received a ton of backlash because of it. And so they've gone, okay, we need to do something different and something cool. What can we do? Let's have a race on dirt. Spectacular. Brilliant. They yeah. basically they basically went, what can we do? Let's put this on dirt. And it was hilarious to me because instantly the fields changed. Because you had all these young guys who, like one of them, they were saying, like has basically gone, like he was a American version of the um not drive to survive. Um like gamer to racer kind of thing he raced in iRacing he was very good at NASCAR iRacing won the championship and one of the teams went hey get in get in our car he's then since been very successful but there's no simulation of driving a NASCAR on dirt so he had awful weekends (laughs) but then the guys that grew up dirt track racing like I have never seen a demonstrate this to me because I I will admit there's some people that say NASCAR, oh, you just turn left. Well, no, you're not doing that because if it was just turning left, everyone would I do it. I say that. <laughs> it's a left turn through three dimensions because the corner is there like, you know, 60 degrees of banking. The cars aren't ever settled. It's amazingly complex. But the guys that had driven on dirt who then had to figure out how to set up a NASCAR to race on dirt, then went and did it. Like, seeing some of these drivers demonstrate this is actually how talented we are, as they went sideways at 75 with 850 brake horsepower and no traction control or anything helping round this circuit and added, like, the average lap speed was 91 miles an hour on dirt. And and the cur- the corners were banked still as well. Yeah, 
yeah. So you're power sliding through three dimensions on a loose circuit. Yeah. Amazing. I don't I don't think half of the Formula One bridge could do that at 91 bar an hour. Just just we'll end the podcast now. But for me, that was just a I wanted to highlight that was a motorsport going. Let's give it a go. Well, that, that was that a sport. Is what they need, they need to embrace. Yeah. Like, this, to me, should be something to Formula One, MotoGP, everything like that. Just go, just every now and again, have a bit of fun with it. I think that's a lesson for every league. Yeah. So, so many leagues. The NHL is just notorious for whenever a team does something fun, it gets belittled and scrutinized by all the hockey people because it's not the way things are done right Mm -hmm. the carolina hurricanes started these fun they called them the storm surge they -hmm. started these fun post-game celebrations on the ice with all their fans doing all this different stuff like they had a they had a football touchdown pass one game where they brought out a brought they took someone's glove and lined up at center ice and somebody was back to pass and threw the glove down the ice into the corner and the guy caught it and it was a touchdown and everybody went nuts and all the hockey people were going this is stupid this is house league bush crap blah 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 you know this isn't professional right well they still do it now because it's fun and the nascar thing was fun so people need to like sports are supposed to be fun in the end there's a certain way to do certain things but be fun you know the vegas golden knights wear um what are they called like metallic gold helmets sometimes and they just they're shiny and they look stupid but it's fun you know so we have fun here and we want more people to have more fun in the end. Yeah. So we wish we wish better luck next week to all the losers. Um, the NHL continues to be the biggest loser right now. Uh, so we wish better luck next week to them yeah. and everyone else. Um, I mean, that's pretty good, I think. Yeah. I more more stuff like that, I would say. More stuff like racing on dirt. I don't want a Formula One race on dirt. I don't want that. I think that would be too much. That would be too much. But But they they are doing fun things. They are doing right. They're rearranging Australia. They've gone to places they haven't gone before. They're doing it. So it's happening. But anyways, (laughs) bye. Bye.